So we're finishing up our series today on uh, right in the eye, and we've been studying this whole thing where a culture decides they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whom they want, and and they don't suffer any consequences. Well, we know that's not true because if if you could do all of that and and there were no consequences, then Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross. He wouldn't have had to die for our sins. In uh, John chapter nine, Jesus says this: "I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved." Um, that background you see on the screen there, Janie and I were actually standing there about 10 days ago. We went to the garden tomb and we heard the story about why they think this is where Jesus um, was laid in the tomb. It's a, it's an incredible story. And then we got to go and take the Lord's supper just outside of that. And we prayed and we sang and, and it was just this really, really moving time. And we were supposed to be back here this past Tuesday. And, uh, if you follow any of my Facebook posts, you know that, that air France canceled our flight. The, the, uh, the, Air traffic controllers in France called a strike, and so our flight was canceled. And I said, "Don't ever fly Air France." And and I was kind of ticked off at the French at that time. But come to find out, we get this. We get to the airport early, and we uh, get this email that says um, that that we can reschedule flights. And so we were able to reschedule our flight. My sister-in-law did this. We got on United Airlines where we didn't even have to fly to Paris. We were supposed to fly into Paris and then from Paris to Houston. So we get on this flight and we fly direct from Tel Aviv all the way to Newark, uh, New Jersey. And when we land, we hear about the bombings that had happened in Brussels. Brussels is about a three hour drive from Paris. Had we gone to Paris, we don't know that we would have gotten out of Paris because things were kind of crazy over there. And so God was watching over us, even though I was complaining that we weren't getting on the right flight. We actually got a bigger seat. We, this was all great, except this ultra Orthodox Jew was sitting next to me. He didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Hebrew. And the dude was worse than a two year old. He could not be still. There's a 12 hour flight. I wanted to kill me a Jew, but I didn't, I didn't because I just was in their land. And, and so I didn't think that was appropriate. So we didn't even know all this stuff that was going on. When we land in Newark, we see the bombings that had happened in Brussels. And and we're just going, oh, God, thank you that we didn't even have to go through there. You allowed us to move over here and, and get all the way away from that. We got home earlier than we would have. And other than the Jew, it was a great flight. Um, and I didn't know this. The, the ultra-Orthodox Jews can't sec- sit next to women. If I had just moved Janie over, he'd had to move to another part of the plane. And Man, I'll know next time. And by the way, I want to take a group. We're going to go in two years. I want to take a group to, to Israel and, and it's going to be somewhere between $3,000, $3,500 a person. That's just the, you know, the cost of things. So I'm giving you two years. Start stuffing your envelopes and you can go with us. It's one of the most meaningful things I ever did. Standing next to this tomb, going to the Garden of Gethsemane, standing on the Mount of Olives, looking at the Eastern Gate where Jesus is going to come back. Oh man, that's just good stuff. Well, all right. I could talk about that all day, but we're going to, we're going to do a new series next week called Losing Your Religion because I just, I just went to the most religious place on the planet. I thought I knew about religion growing up in the fundamental Baptist. I didn't know jack about religion. I'll tell you all about that uh, when we start our new series next week. Now, when we landed and we started seeing all of this stuff about the bombings, I started thinking about the families of those who lost people in the bombings. And, and, you know, we have this desire in us that we want people brought to justice, right? And so if, if you had a family member there, even though a suicide bomber, you know, he got justice. And, and if, if what Jesus said is true and what we believe is true, then, then he woke up in hell. He didn't get 72 virgins. He didn't get all of that stuff. But we want to know, we don't want the low level suicide bomber. We want the person who planned the attack, right? We want them brought to justice. There's just something inside of us that wants people brought to justice. And we don't have closure until that happens. Well, what, what we're really talking about is appropriate payment. And so what we're going to talk about today, the, the biblical term for appropriate payment is atonement. 
It's the same word, appropriate payment or atonement. Atonement is this, satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. See, we, we understand this idea of somebody needs to pay for a crime, especially when that crime is against you. When, when 9-11 happened and we saw the Twin Towers fall, we expected somebody to come to justice. And when Osama bin Laden was brought to justice, some of us, some of us were quite, uh, uh, excited about that because we said finally somebody paid for that and these these brussels bombings we want somebody to pay for that we just understand it and somehow we can't move on until appropriate payment has been made for a crime that's been committed now that's the first idea the core idea of christianity the second idea is this thing everybody knows about it's a substitute substitution how how did you treat a substitute teacher when whenever you uh, were in school probably not as well as you treated the regular teacher right um, it, substitute is whoever comes in for Tony Romo when he breaks his collarbone again. I was betting my, my nephew that he won't make it through another season because he's just, anyway. It's substitute is whoever comes in for LeBron James. A substitute is whoever comes in for um, Steph Curry. We understand the idea of substitute. It's someone taking the place of another. If you put these two terms together, substitutionary atonement, you get the central idea, the core idea of Christianity. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's somebody taking the place of someone else when a crime has been committed. So we're going to walk real quickly through the Bible and tell you how this started, where it began, and how it applies to you. First of all, in Genesis, you see substitutionary atonement in the story of Adam and Eve. Shortly after God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. He said, you guys are going to have this wonderful life. We're going to have face-to-face fellowship. You can think, you can act, you can choose for yourself. But God said, never forget that I'm a holy and just God. If you start sinning, if you kind of shake your fist at me, thumb your nose at me, and you go and do your own thing, then your life is going to come to a screeching halt. This, this wonderful thing is going to come to an end. And so some of you know, most of you know that Adam and Eve, they bought this lie of the devil and, and they disobeyed God blatantly and all of creation and all of heaven paused wondering what's God going to do. Is God going to strike them dead immediately because he said death would enter if they disobeyed him? Or is it going to be kind of like this grandfather in the sky that, that kind of winks at him and says, oh, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Apple eating, that's really not a capital punishment offense, you know. I'm just going to walk away and forget this one. What does he do? Well, you know, he doesn't do either one of those things. If you're paying attention to it, you know that, that he's a just God, but he's also a loving God. So he comes to them and he explains to them, okay, you've opened sin into the world. Now men are going to struggle in labor and anybody's going to struggle in labor trying to bring fruit from the ground. Before that, they didn't even have to struggle for it. They just had to pick it off the tree. He said, now there's going to be labor, pain in childbirth. That's the curse on the woman because she disobeyed God. Human relationships are going to be complicated by ego and, and by power plays and human bodies are going to grow old and eventually die. God said the consequences of sin are very serious. But then he says something that probably knocked the wind out of Adam and Eve. They're, you know, they're sitting over in the corner cowering because of their shame of the sin. Look what God says in Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, most people read over that and they go, okay, no big deal. But it's a very very big deal. It's the first glimpse of a loving God making arrangement for sinners to have their sins atoned for, to have appropriate payment made for the sins. See, God's dilemma is he's a holy and righteous God, but he's also a loving God and his heart has been captured by Adam and Eve and his heart is going to be captured by all of the human beings that are going to follow after him. So what is God going to do? He can't violate his justice. He doesn't want, he doesn't want people to have to suffer the consequences of their own sin in this life and then for eternity in hell. What is God going to do? So God takes the responsibility upon himself to provide a new way 
an alternative way that sin can be paid for without the sinner having to spend eternity in hell and without God's justice being violated. And so the very first thing he does, is he takes an animal in the garden and he, he, he takes the skin of the animal and he covers Adam and Eve. Now this is just an innocent animal. There was no enmity between humans and animals yet. And can you just imagine Adam and Eve, the very first, they've never seen death. And they watch the Lord God kill an animal. They see it. They see the, the animal fall over. They probably see it, 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 um, shriek and it, it writhes in pain and then the blood. And then God takes the skin and covers them as if to say, in order for your sinfulness to be covered, an innocent third party has to give its life. We, we learn in the New Testament without the, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Somebody has to pay for sin. In this instance, it was an innocent animal. It's the beginning of the idea of substitutionary atonement, where an innocent third party gives its life to pay for a guilty sinner and the guilty sinner goes free. Second place we see this is in Exodus and in the Passover, and we've talked about this a lot. Man, it was so cool to walk around and see all of this stuff uh, in Israel. You know the story, God's people, the Israelites, they're being held captive by the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are very slowly working them to death. And it, it just gets messed up and messed up, and it becomes this kind of um, big sinful mess. I don't know why this is doing this, but I'll try not to move anymore. It's not, it's not Travis or Gary's fault. It becomes this mess, and then finally God's patience is pushed beyond anything he can endure any longer. See, God is a loving God. If you push him long enough, his righteous wrath is going to come out. And so God announces to the Israelites that there's going to be payment for sin. And he says that on a certain um, day, an angel of death is going to come, and the firstborn child in every household is going to die. The wages of sin is death. Sin is very um, serious and there are no exceptions. But then God offers an alternative. He says anyone who mo- locates a male lamb, a prized, unblemished uh, lamb, a year old, sacrifices that lamb, kills it, takes some of its blood, paints the blood on the side doorpost and over the top. When the death angel comes, the death angel will honor the blood of that innocent lamb. And this is where we get the, the, the term. It will pass over that household and that child, the firstborn child will not die in that household. Well, the Egyptians were kind of like a lot of us. The Egyptians were thinking, well, if there really is a God, we don't think that he really cares that much about us. We don't think he's going to do jack if we do what we want, when we want, with whom we want. So we're just going to keep on doing that. But there's a few people, mainly Jews, who take God very seriously. Seriously, they say, if God is who he says he is, we believe he's holy and just, and he's going to do exactly what he says. So just imagine one of the men, one of the Jews that takes this seriously, he goes out and he's looking for his prize lamb and his herd and his son is with him. And I thought about when, when Caleb was younger and, and we've talked about this when he was younger and, and he goes out and he gets the lamb and he's just about to raise the knife and kill the lamb. And, and the son says, dad, what are you doing? That's the best one in our flock. Why are you killing the lamb? And the dad says, son. It's the lamb or it's you. A holy God is about to bring atonement for sin. And he has said, tonight, it's the lamb or it's you. What do you think the son's going to say? Let's kill the lamb. Let me help, right? And, and I thought about this. If God tells me that an animal has to die so that my son can live, I don't care what that animal is. I'm going to kill it, right? And so he kills the animal and every family that put the blood on the doorpost, the angel passes over and every family that didn't, they lost their firstborn child. They found out that the consequences of sin are very serious in the eyes of God. It's atonement time and somebody's going to pay. Now we read the next day that every household that didn't do it, their, their firstborn child died, but everybody who did it, the child went free. 
So see, here's the same idea of substitutionary atonement in the book of Exodus. An innocent lamb gives its life so that a guilty party can go free. Later on in the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system. And this was cool. We went around and saw all these different archaeological excavations when we were in Israel. And one of them we saw was, was altars. They had altars in the Old Testament. You have that one, Travis? There's an altar that, that has been unearthed. And, and what they would do, they'd take an animal. They would put it on the altar. They would sacrifice it. And then they would burn it. And, and then later they had the Day of Atonement. When they had the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice an animal. He would take some of the blood. He would take a little um, scepter or something. He would put it on, the blood on it. And he would sprinkle the people. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness forgiveness of sins. And so the blood would be covering for sin for another time. And, and literally there were tens of thousands of lambs giving their lives so that guilty people could go free. And so, um, everywhere, every time you looked around, there was another lamb dying and another guilty sinner going free. And then along comes a prophet named Isaiah and look what he says, kind of made people's heads spin. Isaiah 53 Verse five, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. He said this 800 years before Jesus Christ was born. And people didn't know how to handle this prophecy. They said, it sure sounds like God is telling us that at some point somewhere, there's going to be a human sacrifice. It's bad enough that innocent animals are dying, but now you're talking about humans dying. And then they began to argue about who it was going to be and what did God really mean by this whole scripture and people's mouths just kind of dropped open and then 800 years later Jesus Christ is born if you know the story it's miraculous he was born of a virgin we got to go to Bethlehem and and see things there and we got to go to Nazareth this was just incredible to be there and you know that it was miraculous that Jesus was was uh, born this way and he, he appears to be the son of God when he's 30 years old he goes out to a place where another prophet is teaching John the Baptist John the Baptist has this huge crowd and he stops right in the middle when Jesus is walking up and he points at him, he says, look there, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was saying the unblemished lamb that, that once for all will be sacrificed for sin. That's him right there. This was a very powerful moment in history. And people were trying to understand, you mean, you mean somebody, some human is going to have to die? When Jesus began his teaching ministry, he began to refer to himself in these terms. He would do this teaching. People would clap and they'd have this great time. And and then at the end, he said, there's going to come a time not long from now when I'm going to be pounded on a cross for the sins of the world. So in the New Testament, the whole symbol is Jesus on the cross. The reason we don't sacrifice animals anymore is because Jesus Christ came in their place. He's the substitutionary atonement. After leading a sinless life, because remember, the lamb had to be perfect, unblemished. Jesus Christ is nailed on the cross. The intimate, uh, the, the innocent lamb was died for our sins. And that can you imagine all of heaven looks on in horror when Jesus is taken outside the city after he's been beaten and mocked and spat upon and, and he's nailed to a cross. Because you just think Adam and Eve reacted when they saw death for the first time. You think that child, that son, when he saw his dad kill a lamb, you think that? I think when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross and when he cried out, it is finished. I have made atonement for the sins of the world. I think there was some serious weeping and wailing in heaven. Because people in heaven were looking down the angels and we're looking down there saying, surely the price is too high. Guilty sinners do not deserve a sacrifice like the one God has planned, the one God has given. I think the angels were thinking guilty sinners ought to pay for their own sin. And you know what? They're right. 
I should pay for my sins because I do them. You should pay for your sins because you do them. But God offers an alternative. And it's in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his only son to stand in our place to pay the penalty for our sins to make substitutionary atonement for our sins so that guilty sinners like you and me can go free. Now, that's been a very quick overview, overview but I hope you understand the core idea of, of Christianity. See, every other religious system that I've studied in the world has a different thing than, than substitutionary atonement. In fact, they have religion. You have to do certain things and you have to pray certain prayers and you have to show up so many different times. And maybe you might be good enough to make it to heaven, but only Christianity offers a savior in the place of guilty sinners so that we get to go free. Now, the Bible says that on judgment day, we're all going to stand before God and there's not going to be any argument about whether we're sinful or not. That's going to be real clear because when you stand in front of a holy God, everybody's a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the argument is not going to be if we're sinners or not. The argument is going to be who pays for your sin. You see, I get into heaven based on what Jesus Christ did, not what I did. But God loves you enough that he gives you a free choice. You can decide to pay your own penalty and you'll be separated from God. Or you can decide to allow Christ's substitutionary atonement to be applied to your life. Who makes atonement for your sin? Because sin is going to be paid for. It's just a matter of who pays the tab. Now, there's an, op- uh, th- there's an option available to you. We've talked about it, substitutionary ap- atonement. But here's what you have to do. You have to believe it and then you have to accept it. So I want you to take out your registration cards real quickly. And on the back, if you understand substitution and atonement, then I want you to write the words, I understand. Just write that down for now. I understand. And then I want you to tell me where you were when you understood. Were you at youth camp? Were you at this church? Were what? I was 1970. I was in a little fundamental Baptist church on a Sunday night when I understood that I was a sinner and that I was going to go to hell if I were to die that night. I understood it very clearly. But the Bible says it's not enough just to understand it. The Bible says demons believe that Jesus Christ is the substitutionary atonement for sins, but the demons are not going to be in heaven. They're going to, they're going to uh, rot in, in the pit of hell. Believing is not enough. You have to accept it and ask for it. So the way we say that around here is I'm going to put some words on the, on the screen for you. I ask for Christ's atoning work to take effect in my life. I need it. I want it. I reach out for it. I ask for it. You see, God offers salvation to everyone, but not everybody's saved. Only those who, who ask for the atoning work to be applied to their lives, they're the only ones who have their sins washed away. So I want you to bow your heads for just a second. If you understand the idea of substitutionary atonement and you have applied substitutionary atonement to your life. You know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to raise your hands real quickly and then put them back down. That's a lot of us, but that's not everyone. If you know, if you understand and you know that your name, that you've never asked Jesus to save you, I'm just going to ask you to look at the screen and read those words in your heart. 
I ask for Christ's atoning work to take effect in my life. I need it. I want it. I reach out for it by faith. I ask for it. Bible says if you do that, God is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And when you die, you can know for sure that you'll spend eternity in heaven with God. Father, it's my prayer that everyone here would be in your kingdom. And if they're not sure, they'd do everything uh, possible today on this resurrection day to have the blood of Jesus applied to their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, on the back of your card, some of you wrote down, I understand. If you've done that, then I want you just to write your, you just put your initials down there. So if I had a card, I'd write DW. And that, that symbolizes that my name is written in the book of life, not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus has done. Now, if you've done that, you know, mine was 1970. If you've done it before, put what year you did it. If you did it today, I want you to write today, March 27th, 2016, New Life Community Church. And then if today was the day that you prayed, I want you to find a church member, a New Life church member, show it to them, and they'll buy you lunch. Yeah, he'd been thinking about that for an hour in the first service. He didn't have that comeback, so... Seriously, we want to celebrate with you. The Bible says that when you, when one sinner repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice. So if 10 of you accepted Christ today, I'll buy your lunch and next week Travis will.